All right, welcome to Brain Food Podcast. In this one, this is another one where we're looking at. It's not practical knowledge; it's the opposite. We're still working out names, are we? I don't know. I lost track. But this is one where we're talking about fun facts. And today, this one's awesome. This one, I, I reckon. I don't know what you think, David, but we're probably gonna have to split this into two parts because it is epically long. Yeah, it's amazingly long. We're talking all about Theodore Roosevelt and basically how much of an extreme badass this guy is. How many stories do we have? We have uh, three and a, a slew of bonus facts that just really show how he, this was like one of the more amazing people in modern history. And a lot of people I imagine in Europe don't even know who he is, really. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I interact a lot with Americans, but I feel mm-hmm. his level of kind of badassness definitely transcends mm-hmm. america it, it leaves america and travels around the world there's also a bit of confusion because obviously this fdr as well who was also mm-hmm. perhaps not a badass in the same way as roosevelt was uh, theodore roosevelt's mm-hmm. teddy roosevelt's or however you want to describe him but he was he we studied a bit about him in school because we study the wars the first world war and mm-hmm. the second world war mm-hmm. and obviously he was around at that time yeah kind of different kind of badass in a way <laughs> i don't know if we'll have to split it off into two parts i guess we can kind of go into it and if we find ourselves rolling into the third hour we'll probably be like mm, maybe we should uh, maybe we should wrap this up because we were just talking yeah. about how we don't want these podcasts to be so epically long and then our first one after we we make it crazy long absolutely <laughs> i want to basically do a bit of housekeeping so reviews thank you to everyone who has reviewed the podcast we've got a town gamer i think i'm largely picking the ones that i can easily pronounce because is like MX Shudler? I don't know. I'm going to read MX Shudlers now because I said it, and then I'd feel bad if they were like, hey, I, uh, I heard you read out my name, but you didn't read out my review. If you like the YouTube content, this is a more organic feeling presentation from those guys, and it plays well. Definitely give it a listen and hit up their Patreon. I didn't even know they were plugging our Patreon for us. That is epic. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash today I found out. This is the kind of content that needs to continue to be available. It's educational and easy to take in. Well done. Accidental Patreon nice. plug there. How do you like that? A-Town Gamer, one of the best podcasts in the history of podcasts. This is not, I'm not cherry picking these, I swear, in the history of podcasts. I love this. I love the YouTube channel and the show. 10 out of 10. Five stars. How about that? Matt the Cat, love the show, love the lads, love the facts. Matt the Cat, thank you for your five-star review. Do you say lads, like, in the States? Because, like, you'd be like, lads, good job, lads. No. Hmm. I mean, I'm familiar, but I wouldn't say it was a thing, at least in my region of the U.S., that people would say. Because I've got the American iTunes store loaded up, and so I'm like, that feels very British. Lads. What's up, lads? Maybe on, like, the East Coast or something? I don't know. Maybe. That's a thing people say. Matt the Cat. Drop us an email, let us know where you're from and why you use lads. We'll uh, we'll touch back around in a future episode because it's... Well, maybe we won't, it's not that fascinating. <laughs> Boogeyman2718, this is an excellent podcast and very similar to their YouTube channel, Today I Found Out, but a bit more candid and casual. I like the recent change in the format to a shorter show with two variations on the show. Keep up the great work. Oh, there we, some, there yeah, you go, useful the first, feedback. That's the first feedback on that point. That's yeah. nice. Guys, so we are... We want to get to 100 reviews. I think we mentioned it on previous podcasts. At 100 reviews, we're going to pick someone at random from the first 100 reviews and give them a $100 Amazon gift card or whatever value you want in your local currency of gift card. That's on iTunes just because otherwise we have to trawl through all of the other stores. So I apologize to anyone who's not an iTunes user. I myself am not. David is also not. It's just kind of what podcasts is dominated by. And two $25 vouchers for people who we pick seconds at random. So yeah, it doesn't have to be five stars, anything like that. Just leave us your review. Although as I mentioned before, it would be super awkward if I end up emailing someone with like their trash it, trash it one star review. I want to talk about the pronunciation of Roosevelt because this is going to draw some issues. I was listening. I, there's a place I go and pronunciations are something Simon. People will tear Simon apart in the comments for it. It'll be like, <laughs> you pronounce this obscure Japanese town name completely wrong. And it's like, there are a few. I, I'll try Googling it. I'll try how just say H O W J S A Y dot com and I will try Forvo, F O R V O dot com. And if it's not there, it's really hard to kind of find and then oh another thing you do is plug it into google translate and hope it's pronounced i think i got some flack for pronouncing roosevelt like roosevelt so how'd you say let me just play a little clip here this is all of the pronunciations that my usual pronunciation guru has for roosevelt i'll just play it now roosevelt or roosevelt or roosevelt also roosevelt 
So not exactly easy, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Is like a lot of these you go and online, and you'll see even from like supposedly native speakers, like you'll find a website and oh, here's I'm a native speaker of this. It's pronounced this, but then like someone else will be like, no, I'm a native speaker and it's pronounced this way. Yeah. And it's like even within like local regions, it's you know people have different pronunciations for a lot of different things. This was the thing with Roosevelt's name is even in his own time when he was president, people criticized him for mispronouncing his own name. This is so insane to me. It would be like someone coming up to me and it's like, it's not Whistler, it's Verhistelia. And I'm like, no, 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 really, it's my name. And also, if I was pronouncing it Verhistelia and someone was like, it's pronounced Whistler, I'd be like, it's my name. I can pronounce it however I want. So Roosevelt, one of the people who did, was the, the chairman of the Department of Reading and Speech Culture, Culture for the New York State Teachers Association, Mr. Richard E. Maine. Wait, he's the guy that, criticizing. Uh, I'm going to screw yeah, this up yeah. so many times throughout this episode. I apologize ahead of time. So this guy, it's not some random YouTube commenter criticizing how he's pronouncing his name this is a guy of like speech standing yeah exactly and so yeah he felt that roosevelt was uh, perpetuating a practice against which are set the principles of usage by pronouncing his name roosevelt rather than using the common english pronunciation to pronounce it roosevelt the speech dude thinks it should be roosevelt and roosevelt's going around calling himself roosevelt yeah and so according (laughs) to roosevelt himself Uh it's pronounced roosevelt because and i i don't speak dutch so i don't know if he's actually correct here but he was saying the double o it's a dutch name and so the double o in dutch makes the o sound mm-hmm. and so it should should be roosevelt instead of roosevelt because of the dutch origin now i don't speak dutch so i don't actually know if that's correct but that's what roosevelt thought and that's what matters in a way that's how he chooses it so we are we are throughout this episode going to i'm sure you'll nail it and i'm going to attempt to nail it we're going to pronounce roosevelt the way he wanted his name to be pronounced that was actually a bonus fact that was at the very end <laughs> of today's planned episode and I really wanted to bring that to the front so thank you for humoring me on that one so the story we have today it's so it's 1883 this was I think three years after Roosevelt uh, graduated from Harvard so at this point he had done a few things he wrote a book like he wrote a lot of books in his lifetime but Mm -hmm. the first one he wrote was the uh, Naval War of 1812 which is still considered one of the most important works on the War of 1812 and it was even super important in his time in 1886 the US Navy actually made it so that a copy of that book was in every U.S. Navy ship. Like, it was very influential in the sort of the development of the modern Navy. Wow. Um, So, yeah, he'd graduated Harvard. He was also, at this point, a member of the New York State Assembly. Um, So he's kind of getting into politics. His kind of main thing was anti-corruption, which was sort of his platform throughout most of his career. He was was quite big on that. As you'll see, he was quite a honor-bound individual, so that was quite important to him. We've, We've touched on him in a few previous videos, and he always, you know, very like everything is to do with honor he seems like this very traditional like honorable dude war of 1812 was that when we fought each other the british and the americans because yeah fun bonus fact i think you study this quite a lot right uh yeah in school in school yeah in high school it's not even mentioned i i'd never heard of the war of 1812 (laughs) i had no idea about this didn't even know it was did you win i didn't even know who won well see here's the problem is uh, of course i'm learning it in u.s school so so of course (laughs) it's like definitely (laughs) of course of course the british lost my impression was that it was a war that sort of made the u.s was like finally on its own two feet you know they had the revolutionary Mm -hmm. war but then this one was war actually stood its own against foreign powers again and like you know now it's like all right, we got something here. It's not just a, you know, a bunch of upstart revolutionaries. I could okay. be totally wrong on all of this. <laughs> just as a disclaimer, we're right about all yeah. of the stuff until we're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was, this was from my memory of 20 years ago or so. So now, 1883, mm-hmm. he decides he's going to go. Roosevelt loved hunting. He loved animals, liked to go. And so he's going to go hunting in North Dakota. And so he goes there. He's specifically looking for American bison to hunt. Mm-hmm. And uh, these most people know uh, as buffalo, but they're not actually buffalo. They're actually really closely related to the European bison. And if you've, you've, have you ever seen a picture I know of it? What a, I know what a bison is, yeah. Yeah, they beast. look almost yeah look almost exactly the same as American bison. If you're wondering why they're called buffalo, it's thought it had something to do with the fact that you'd call like buff or buffalo was the name for any animal that provided good hide. It's and a buffalo that actually exists. Yeah. That's not a made. Yeah, up but animal. it's like yeah, it's a completely different animal though. And <laughs> okay. yeah, so yeah, just coincidentally not, named it because buff was a word used to describe good leather. 
Yeah, that's the that's the thought. It's not really known for sure, but okay. it seems like a plausible explanation. Yeah, the uh, American bison and actual buffalo can't interbreed or anything like that. So uh, yeah, they're they're quite different, distinct animal, and they look very different if you go look up pictures of them. I love this this note. I feel you skipped over this one, but I love this. American buffalo are actually very closely related to European bison and can interbreed with readily with cattle. Something actual buffalo have never been observed doing, even in lab experiments. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what exactly were those lab experiments? Because that sounds weird. <laughs> like, well, yeah. we put these two animals in the cage to see if they would hump each other. They did not. Yeah. I think what this is actually referring to is taking the sperm and the egg and trying to see if you could make if you could make one. You uh, know, if it would get pr- produce a viable embryo, and they have not been able. So to this do isn't that, your 1800s obviously. lab experiments. This is this is <laughs> yeah. modern day proper yeah. science. You know, lab not just putting them in a cage together and see what happens so yeah so yeah roosevelt anyway he's going to Uh hunt these american bison and then he he really likes the frontier life like at this point he's the perception of him today is of course this frontier man this rugged but at the time he was considered an academic and this was actually hurting him in politics because he was like this this highbrow academic you know rich Mm -hmm. kid or whatever this was his reputation we'll get into later this this sort of trip would end up um, having a big impact on his later political career changing his image anyways he becomes uh Really, he loves the area. He loves the frontier life. And so he just decides as a as a rich kid fresh out of college will do. He he buys just an insane, like hundreds of cows. And then he gets on this Chimney Butte ranch. He buys a big stake in the ranch. And then, uh, yeah, he's just going to he's going to be a ranch owner now as long as well as a politician. So Roosevelt came from money. It wasn't like the huge success yeah. of his initial books. Yeah, no, he was uh, he was definitely, I believe, if I remember correctly, his father died in the 1870s, late 1870s, around mm-hmm. the time of his university. Anyways, he left him about $125,000, which was, you know, wow. a couple, two or three million dollars or something worth. And so, yeah, he was he didn't need to do anything. Yeah, he could hang out, he, buy his cars, buy his cows, write some books. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't actually need to get into politics or anything, but it was just something he wanted to do. He actually went into law for a little bit, to law school, and uh, but then he decided he didn't like that and he thought he'd get into politics. This guy, he did so many things, but we'll, we'll, we'll cover some of them. He liked to visit his ranch and sort of like play at being a cowboy and stuff and ranching on a thing. And he liked it so much that within a year, he bought a couple hundred more cows and established a second ranch called Elkhorn Ranch in the wow. same region. At this point, he actually decided to retire from politics, even though he was still very young. And this was because it's not really really known like why exactly he never really mentions what is but he was kind of souring a little bit on politics with all the corruption that it was and his like lack of headway and a lot of things and then sort of more significantly perhaps was his wife Alice died uh, undiagnosed kidney failure is what she died from uh, just a few days after giving birth to their daughter also mm. named Alice that year and then this was the same day in the same house that his mother died of typhoid fever just 11 hours earlier this uh, we've mentioned this in a video before it's so sad and do we have yeah. the thing about like i remember something from his diary and it's just like especially for like this guy who's like a ranch cowboy dude writing books yeah completely unexpected on his wife because she was you know she gave birth and you know you'd think she, everything's she's, going she's okay yeah, that. Yeah. everything's fine and she's quite young and then she just dies kind of un, uh, unexpectedly and uh, do you want to read the quote yeah he just puts a giant x in his journal and i looked up an image of this and it's as sad as it sounds it's just this little journal and it's just a big black x and then under it he just writes the light has gone out of my life so maybe he was just you know he, he it wasn't that long after this that he decided to retire from politics and mm-hmm. just go out to the country he was going to go become a full-time rancher on his elkhorn ranch and that was just maybe because of this or you know he just wanted a break or you know, sounds like very sort. much the sort of event that would spur someone to be like screw this i am going out and becoming a yeah. cowboy and i'm just going to raise cattle and that's that. Yeah. At least that's but how it to- seems in movies. In probably real life, people yeah. just go back into the office on Monday and just grit their teeth. Yeah. Or maybe that's just a British thing. <laughs> yeah, so he goes out there, not one to do things halfway. He also decides to become a lawman while he's there. Just so he gets the deputy sheriff job. Doesn't pay anything. Except do we know for, how um, old like- he is at this point? Because he's got a lot going on. Yeah, so he was born in 1858. So yeah, he's uh, he's only 26 he's written this this seminal book on the war of 1812 yeah he's he's on his way throughout his life this is the amazing thing about him he wrote so many books that are like amazing books if you go read them now they're really good on like his travels his thoughts on this like scientific things he wrote when he was nine years old was his first scientific paper he ever wrote the paper was
was called The Natural History of Insects. And he, uh, he had been basically researching insects, collecting insects and all that. And so he decided to write a paper on them at nine years old. And he wrote like thousands of magazine articles on various like historic things, on nature, on animals, like everything, on politics, like anything. Yeah, he was, he was quite prolific at everything he did. He was quite prolific at everything. <laughs> so, so wait, uh, he became a lawman. This sounds like there's going to be an adventure here. Yeah, it's it's in kind of the middle of nowhere. I mean, North Dakota's still in the middle of nowhere even today, but back then even more so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they didn't it didn't pay anything other than they would cover his travel costs and then he would get little stipends if he made arrests for if mm-hmm. there was crimes, you know, that was kind of the the thing. So he just uh, decided to go. I'm going to be a ranch hand. He's doing this you know, doing his thing, being a lawman at the same time. So then at this point, now two years later, March of 1886, there's he finds he has one boat and yeah. it's the only boat in seven miles around and it gets stolen. By who? He's and in the middle of nowhere. He actually had an idea who had stolen it. So do you want to read this? The quote only other person around. I don't know. Okay, we <laughs> yeah. got a quote. We had no doubt as to a sign. He's confident. We had no doubt who, as to who had stolen it. For whoever had done so had certainly gone down the river in it. And the only other living thing in the shape of a boat on the Little Missouri was a small flat-bottomed scow in the possession of three hard characters who lived in a shack or hut. Glad he made clarification there. I, just as a comment, I love like how, you know, obviously shack or hut must have had different meanings back in the day. But to me, I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, yeah, it was a shack or hut. Steady on, Roosevelt. Like, we get the picture. <laughs> so uh, Roosevelt goes on, some 20 miles above us and whom we had shrewdly suspected for some time of wishing to get out of the country, as certain of the cattlemen had begun openly to threaten to lynch them. They belonged to a class that always holds sway during the raw youth of a frontier community, and the putting down of which is the first step towards decent government. Wow, that's strong words. He's like, we got to get yeah. rid of these like nasty people so we can establish a government. Yeah, so the uh, thieves in question, Roosevelt said, mm-hmm. was a, uh, to quote, a well-built fellow named Michael Finnegan. And then he says, a half-breed, a stout, muscular man called Bernstead. And an old German whose viciousness was of the weak and shiftless type called, I don't know, what do you Faffenbach. think? Faffenbach. Yeah. yeah. So, silent yeah. P, probably. Yeah, they had been implicated in a bunch of crimes, and that's why all the cattlemen wanted to lynch them. Uh, so wow. they were trying to get out of the way, out of the out of town, and there was the only one boat. It was also the <laughs> middle of winter, and this was actually a super hard uh, winter. They would actually see a lot of the cattle in the region die off, and uh, this was partially how Roosevelt ended up getting back into politics because like his two million dollar investment kind of died off mm. um, so he, he he left shortly after but anyways this winter is super cold everything there they figure no one's gonna follow them they're gonna steal this boat no one's gonna follow them because the, the river's half frozen over anyway yeah and so and you can't ride horseback at this point the, the conditions were too bad so you'd have to go on foot and so oh, and this, this was but, the only boat so that's kind of you yeah know, that's it this was the only way yeah, and if you wanted to risk the trip in the first place, because not only that, there was a lot of Native Americans in the regions at the time weren't really, you know, friendly with the uh, the white locals. And, yeah. and you can, you know, there was no boat, so you're not going to catch up to them on foot. And so they were quite confident with their little escape. I can guess what happens next, but I can definitely see why these dudes were like, they're not going to follow us. There's no boat. Yeah. It's super cold. Like, we're running away from being lynched. They would just come after yeah. us for justice like really yeah they failed to reckon roosevelt's nature Mm -hmm. which was yeah he's not one to let this to let this sort of thing slide so the boat in question was worth uh, he he estimated about 30 dollars, which is about 750 dollars today uh but so it wasn't really like super valuable to him or anything like that but so roosevelt reasoned do you want to read this quote in any wild country where the power of law is little felt or heeded and where everyone has to rely upon himself for protection men soon get to feel that it is in the highest degree unwise to submit to any wrong no matter what the cost of risk or trouble to submit tamely and meekly to theft or to any other injury is to invite almost certain repetition of the offense in a place where self-reliant hardihood and the ability to hold one's own under all circumstances rank as the first of virtues so he's like i gotta i gotta i gotta get them or they're gonna or this is gonna happen to me again so he calls he gets some of his ranch hands and they get together uh two of them uh bill sawal and wilmot dow and mm-hmm. they build a new boat it oh, okay. <laughs> as, as you would <laughs> so he's so, like I, I, 
And then he's like, I'm not going to stick with this new boat that I've built for myself and just use it like yeah. I used the old boat. I'm going to use this yeah. new boat to hunt down my old boat. <laughs> yeah, so it took him three days to build the new boat. At this point, like 60% of Roosevelt's cows had been killed off by how cold it was. And like cows are pretty hardy for the cold. I mean, it was like this was an abnormally cold winter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I said before, that was about uh, $80,000 investment, about $2 million today for Roosevelt. Um, wow. But they take three days, three days to build the boat. So this is as his cattle are dying. So he's not even going to be attending them. He's going to go to after these boatmen down an icy river he's chasing 750 dollars while his two million dollar investment at yeah. home is yeah he's dying off definitely yeah, a, so. definitely a moral man but maybe not a great businessman on this one yeah he's it's the principle of the thing i'm sure is, absolutely thinking the number of hours i've wasted chasing like a deposit that someone hasn't paid me back or yeah. something and it's just like I, I i really should just let this go but it's like no I will get my deposit back. You will not beat me. It's like I had a ticket, my one and only ticket I've ever gotten, and I totally did not do the thing the officer said, and I, I didn't even know. I was like, what are you even talking about? And he was like, no, and so he gives it. And well, I what spent was the, like What a was week. the offense? Uh, he said I didn't slow down when I was driving by him, and he had pulled over someone else, and so he gave me a ticket. I was like, That's a thing. anyways. Yeah, it is a thing. Uh, if the if the you have to slow down or or move over a lane, but you couldn't, I couldn't in this circumstance. But anyways, okay. the point being, I spend like a week studying the law behind this rule and being like, and because it's my word against his, so I'm thinking I'm going to lose. But I study it, I do all my stuff, and I ended up winning. Nice. He lost, and I got my. I did not get, but it was the principle of the thing. Even though the ticket was like seventy dollars or something <laughs> for like a week's worth of work, it definitely was not worth it. But, did you get your legal you know. costs? It was like, well, that was a week's worth of work, and I estimate that to be this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will need yeah. this from the police department. They're going down the river in their, their brand new boat they just mm-hmm. made. And of course, because the, the thieves didn't think anyone was coming after them, so they weren't even on their guard or anything. Uh, Roosevelt, Roosevelt says, uh, so when he walks up, he said, the only one in camp was the German whose weapons were on the ground and who, of course, gave up at once because, you know, they were all uh, armed so when they approached. They found these guys easily then. Yeah, I mean, Roosevelt was quite a good tracker, and it probably wasn't that hard to just go down the river. They're probably just sitting on the shore or whatever, not expecting they're, any. They're probably pretty chill. Like, yeah, no one's going to follow us. It's cool. We have the only boat. We may as well like not take it too, too, too quickly. And then yeah. Roosevelt shows and it was up. Several Hello, days. boys. <laughs> it was several days later because you know they had to build the new boat and then had to go down. So yeah. you know they probably thought they were off. No one's if no one's coming after them. So yeah. So yeah. then, um, so then Roosevelt says, "Do you want to read this one right here?" They then made him safe, delegating one of our number to look after him particularly and see that he made no noise and then sat down and waited for the others. The camp was under a lee of a cut bank behind which we crouched and after waiting an hour or over the men we were after came in. We heard them a long way off and made ready, watching them for some minutes as they walked towards us, their rifles on their shoulders and the sunlight glinting on the steel barrels. When they were within 20 yards or so, we straightened up from behind the bank, covering them with our cocked rifles, while I shouted to them to hold up their hands, an order that, in such a case in the West, a man is not apt to disregard if he thinks the giver is in earnest. The half-breed obeyed at once, his knees trembling for a second, his eyes fairly wolfish. Then, as I walked up within a few paces, covering the center of his chest so as to avoid overshooting and repeating the command, he saw that he had no show, and, with an oath, let his rifle drop and held his hands up beside his head. Yes. It's always difficult reading these quotes from over a hundred years ago because English was yeah. really different. <laughs> yeah, they they talk a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I like the I ra- I rather like the way they wrote and things like like at this point and like in this uh, late seventeen hundreds and stuff. It feels it nice. feels elaborate. I would maybe say yeah. a bit over elaborate. Like you have to go yeah. back and think about. Oh, okay, got it. It's it's yeah, pleasant yeah. though. I get I get why you enjoy it. So at this point, Roosevelt could have just shot or hanged them. That was perfectly yeah. within his right to oh, do. Okay. Uh, but you know, Roosevelt being Roosevelt, he was not he was not going to do that. Uh, even even when uh, later he encounters at a, a farm, he encounters and he's trying to rent a wagon to take them, um, and it, it didn't work out. But mm-hmm. at the time, he was just like the farm owner was like, "Why don't you just hang them?" And, and he was just like, "No, they need they deserve a fair trial. Like they get they get their trial. That's that's." But he, he was allowed to hang them. But then there was also 
legality in place to have a trial yeah so if he brings them in they get a trial for for their you know for their crimes and, and yeah. look over things but he was allowed just for the the law at the time as the lawman um, <laughs> because of the conditions it was going to risk his own life to bring them in obviously because of the weather conditions yeah. and these there's three men and uh and so a little bit later he actually sends because they're, they're running short on supplies and so he and uh, he sends his two farmhands away and so it's just him huh. and these three guys and roosevelt again being roosevelt he didn't tie them up he didn't bind them in anyway because it was so cold he was worried that they would freeze like to get frostbite and stuff like that and so he was like no yeah, he just let them walk along with him. And this was this was over the course of a couple of days. Like it ended up being like a 40 hour journey from the point where he got rid of his farmhands, where he told him, you yeah. know, all right, you guys go because we, we don't have enough supplies. I don't want you guys anything bad to happen, egg freeze, death or whatever. So you go home. I'm going to continue on by myself with these three people who aren't tied up in any way. sleep? He did not sleep <laughs> uh, for 40, 40 straight hours. And uh, yeah, he he kept himself up by reading, what was it, uh, Anna Karina. Um, yeah. Leo Tolstoy's uh-huh. Anna Karina and so he just kind of he read this while they were sleeping no, no offense a- to Tolstoy but it's not exactly known for being <laughs> riveting it's like it yeah, kept it- me awake it was so exciting yeah. Yeah, and this is they're they're trudging along and like it's like ankle deep sometimes when it was sludge and other times you know completely frozen over. It's just like yeah, he's just trudging along with them. He's got his shotgun in case they want to try anything. But yeah, he falls asleep. They're just going to kill him. Like definitely. Oh, oh yeah, hundred the percent. They're not taking him back for a fair trial. Like <laughs> yeah, it's game over. Yeah, exactly. So so, so they, yeah, he continues. Sorry, did I miss they they had just left their boats? Uh yeah, they they trudged on. Oh, I sorry, I've, I actually forgot to mention that. Yeah, they left the boats because the river was too frozen over at that point. It made it better to just quicker just to go on foot rather than try to break up the ice Righto. so yeah he's going along and he actually brought a camera with him but he didn't use it for some reason at this point i assume probably because of the way they took cameras or photos back then it probably wasn't practical to right to spend like, time doing that all right my three <laughs> arrested criminals i need you to stand yeah. really really still for about 10 yeah, minutes while this exposes yeah, yeah and while i'm setting this up please don't rush me because you know i have yeah. to put down the shotgun <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm sure that's why he did. A, he did eventually later go back and reenact the journey with his farmhands and had them kind of pose as the criminals so he could take pictures and stuff to document really? the yeah document because he was he was all about documenting everything. Like if you read any of books, any of his travels, anything he did, like he documented it all, which was great because you know from a historical standpoint you can go read all about it, like firsthand accounts. It's quite good. It's, it's why but, we have these. These are all quotes from I'm assuming a book of his, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Which will it was the called the Ranch Life and the Hunting Trail, which is one of his books and and he yeah. includes this this escapade among other things in that one um so if anyone wants to go check that I out check, i really quite, enjoy quite reading good. these books from like badass people today like I, i've mentioned it before but that yeah. schwarzenegger biography it's just like that dude yeah. is an incredible badass i'm reading yeah. elon musk's at the moment and i'm like that yeah. dude's an incredible bad I've got, i would probably really like roosevelt stuff yeah, yeah, it's good. I actually have I have a few of his books. Actually, some I have a first edition of, of a Ooh. few of his books, which was from uh, wow. my grandfather. Actually, had them, and I got them. They're quite quite cool. Yeah, uh, but very um, cool. yeah. So he at the end of the journey, it's a three hundred mile journey total from start to finish. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They finally walk into uh, uh, Dickinson. The town is called Dickinson, and uh, Roosevelt kind of summed up here. The next eight days were as irksome and monotonous as I ever spent. There is very little amusement in combining the functions of a sheriff with those of an Arctic explorer. The weather is kept as cold as ever. We had to be additionally cautious on account of being in the Indian country, having worked down past Kildare Mountain mountains where some of my cowboys had run across a band of Sioux said to be the Tetons the year before. Very probably the Indians would not have harmed us anyhow, but as we were hampered by the prisoners, we preferred not meeting them, nor did we, though we saw plenty of fresh signs and found, to our sorrow, that they had made a grand hunt all the way down the river, and had killed or driven off almost every head of game in the country through which we were passing. So he finishes, he finally gets there with them, you know, to Dickinson as mentioned, and then uh, he has another great quote here. Most heartily glad when we were last jolted into the long, straggling main street of of Dickinson, and I was able to give my unwilling companions into the hands of the sheriff. Under the laws of Dakota, I received my fees as a deputy sheriff for making the three arrests, and also mileage for the 300-odd miles gone over, a total of some $50, $1,250 today. So at least he got, you know, that's his boat money, it's, and now we, I'm, I'm assuming something. he can go ba- back and grab his old boats, right? The, the two yeah, that he's yeah, got well, now got. Yeah, this was, this was one of the problems uh, why, in the first place, why didn't he just go back up to his ranch, you know, like just go but the river was too swift so uh so yeah it was and the with the weather so i'm sure he had to wait 
until the weather got better, probably in the spring, to go retrieve his boats. And this is also Roosevelt again. When he actually gets there, he refuses to press charges against the Pfaffenbach guy mm-hmm. because he stated he didn't have enough sense to do anything good or bad. Roosevelt didn't he think he was like mentally competent enough to to be held for his crimes or whatever. Oh, so he okay. just he didn't he didn't even press charges, which obviously the Pfaffenbach guy was grateful for. Yeah. So he, he he takes all this time to bring him in, and then he doesn't even press charges against this one guy. The other the other two he did, but even then, like the Michael Finnegan uh, actually would write Roosevelt a letter after he was in prison. You know, he got convicted and everything, and just complimenting on thanking him for being a peerless sentinel of justice because most hmm. lawmen at the time, in the given the circumstances, would have just hung oh him, yeah, you know? boom, yeah. you just yeah, they just they just string you up like. Yeah, so he was just like, thanks for not killing us and actually bringing us in to be tried. Like, you know. oh, okay, that's yeah. cool. I like Michael Finnegan a bit more now. That's not something I can imagine a lot of people would do. Like, even yeah. though they'd be like, how, do you know how long he spent in prison? I don't, I don't see it written down. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Either way, I'm sure prison in like prison today is probably not much fun, but prison in the 1800s is probably not yeah. awesome. But yeah, so if uh, anyone wants to read more on that one, they can uh, check out Ranch Life and the Hunting Trail by Theodore Roosevelt. I really like this. It's kind of, I feel you, everything you know about Roosevelt, we've done videos about him in the past. It's kind of like, yeah, this is the kind of dude he was. There you go. Sentinel of Justice. I think that's a great way to describe it. Next up, another story, another thing of Teddy Roosevelt being a badass. What do we have? Yeah, so this one we're skipping forward to, uh, we're going to start it at 1909. So at this point, Roosevelt had been like a colonel in the army. He'd done a bunch of other stuff, written tons of stuff. And uh, he's also... uh, served two terms as president so he, he was vice president actually at first and then um <laughs> i love how you described he did a bunch of other stuff he was a colonel in the army he served two terms as president of the united states like <laughs> yeah so he was a vice president for a while uh, not very long but uh, so what happened was uh, william mckinley <laughs> he was vice got- president like anyone else's yeah. life being the vice president yeah. would be like the pinnacle of the achievement of their career. To be fair, at this at this point, the vice president was like not quite as important as it was yeah. today. He spent a lot of his vice presidency like you know hunting and going on trips and stuff because there wasn't really anything for the vice president to do. You always assume like vice president is the person who takes over when the president's yeah. in trouble. Yeah, and at this point, the that wasn't really clear like in the Constitution whether the vice president should take over. Yeah, you know, and whether when they did take over, if you should have a new election. So it wasn't like all kind of set in stone. But anyways, so William McKinley gets uh, President William McKinley gets. Uh, assassinated. He actually died of an infection from as a result of the gunshot, but um, as a we'll, result we'll of his doctors sticking their rather than like a natural death. <laughs> so the doctors were like sticking their fingers in his wound uh-huh. and trying to get the bullet out. Which uh, side story, which we'll mention again here, is the uh, later is the uh, taking the bullet out. Not really the best idea, especially back then. But even nowadays, it's usually better just to leave it in rather than go in. Uh, contrary to really? what Hollywood often depicts. Yeah, that Hollywood. It's always like, yeah, we got to get that bullet out or you know whatever. But most of the time that's not the even today is not what they would do they would you know depending on the location of course i feel hollywood um, takes it even a step further it kind of be like lodged in bruce willis's arm and he'll be using his right arm and a pair of like tweezers to kind of pull the bullet out yeah. of his own arm while like biting down on like a piece of cork or something yeah exactly and that's not really it's that's not, not, not really realistic but yeah, so McKinley, he dies. And so mm-hmm. now Roosevelt gets called back and now he becomes president. Uh, it was decided. Now we're fast forwarding past this to 1909. He's done with his two terms of presidency. And he'd, he had made a point of saying like, you know, you don't want to be a dictator. So he's not going to run, even though he was wildly popular, like hugely popular at this time. He wasn't going to run again. And instead, his little protege would be William Howard Taft. Mm-hmm. And that would be who he would sort of support in the election. It was the person who he thought he'd kind of trained him up and like, Taft's going to continue my policies and stuff and continue the work I was doing. So I don't need to continue. I'm going to go, you know, travel around Africa and the Amazon and things like this and write books and things. Yeah. So this is what he's going to do. So why, he supports why was he Taft, so against? Taft. Like, why does he think like you're a dictator? if you're serving a longer term that seems because this is super popular this is a thing yeah this is a thing in american presidency and obviously it became eventually became uh, codified uh into the constitution but yeah there's like it was a kind of a tradition presidents don't go more than two terms i mean it did happen obviously like um, roosevelt 2.0 uh, later yeah, yeah. roosevelt 2.0 <laughs> uh it did but it wasn't like uh it, it was a, it was sort of just a thing that you know they didn't they were very at this point still concerned about the whole king dictator thing like ah, that's not so that's like, not America ah, you know? dynasties dynasty this comes yeah, up in exactly. the videos a bunch I never knew how 
against dynasties Americans were. It was seen as good to, you know, mix it up, you mm. know, get someone new new blood in there to, to run things so you didn't just have one person sort of dictating policy for a huge amount of time. Despite the fact that an um, enormous number of presidents, it's like father-son, grandfather-son, I was amazed. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, I was like, yeah, George Bush and George Bush Jr., and I'm like, oh no, and there yeah. was these other guys and this guy and like yeah. uh, the Roosevelt's like fifth cousins. And it's like, mm, this seems quite dynastic. Yeah. So he's he's feeling pretty confident about Taft. He's Taft's going to do. So he supports him. Taft becomes president. And then, yeah, so Roosevelt goes on his merry way, mm-hmm. touring around, writing books, writing articles, this sort of stuff on everything from history to, you know, nature and all this. But the problem was Taft didn't really consider continue his policies. And Taft actually was uh, somewhat corrupt in Roosevelt's eyes anyway, no. doing a lot of the thing traditional politics things that roosevelt had fought so hard to root out and so uh roosevelt was not happy with taft and so he decided i don't care that i said i wasn't going to run again in the next presidential election i'm going to run under the republican ticket again to become president is that something you can do is like if, if a modern can a modern day president do that like take a break and then run again or is it like it's not three consecutive yeah. terms or it's just no three times no, I don't. I th- I'm pretty sure you can't do three terms no matter what. Okay. But yeah, at the time, at the time, it wasn't. A, it wasn't I mean, a it was thing. more just. A, I was just curious. It wasn't really a legal thing. Uh, so yeah, so he decides he's going to run under the Republican ticket, and he did in fact win the majority of primary votes for the Republican hey. Party. But, but the problem was Taft was president, and Taft could give out lots of like little bonus to if the people, the other Republican people in the primaries, would just make him the Republican nomination instead of the person who won, Roosevelt. Uh, if they would just do that, you know, he had the power to give out little perks and things. And so they, they the Republican Party chose Taft. I'm going to go and say that, Roosevelt, that, that yeah. on that one, Roosevelt, he might have been right about that old corruption thing. <laughs> Roosevelt definitely didn't. He was so angry about this that he decided to start his own party, which was, I mean, he had to know... This was gonna. This was gonna hand the next presidency to the Democratic Party, right? Because he's he gonna split, split the, party, the Republican. He starts his vote. own, right? Yeah, he starts his own. It's called the Progressive Party or the Bull Moose Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which is an apt description of him. I think people have ever seen moose. They're uh, they're pretty amazingly powerful animals. Moose. They have the vast yeah. antlers, right? These these big. And they're just massive. Massive. Like I was driving down the road uh, last winter, actually, and just driving along winter. And these two moose just like walk by and they're just like so massively bigger than my car. And it's just like, yeah, they would totally win if I hit them. I don't like, think I've ever was, even the road seen was really them. icy and it was just like, oh, just huge. Like you would definitely, especially when they're in their little uh, mating season, yeah. you don't want to be around. Democratic Party was obviously like, this is great. Because now you're going to split the vote. And we, because the Democratic Party at this point had not won the presidency in a long time. Like, I think it might have even going all the way back to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. I might be incorrect on that. But it's it's quite, they had not, they had not had a chance at the presidency in a while. And now, for the first time, they, they have it. But, you know, uh, Roosevelt wasn't going to stand by while Taft sort of undid a lot of his work. And, like, he saw him as a corrupt politician. Uh, sort of the principle of the thing, he was going to, he was going to run anyway. I'm with, I'm with him on this um, one. I really think, you know, he's... He's talking about this guy's corrupt and he's doing all this stuff. And then the way that he puts Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt down to get the, the party's yeah. nomination is by that very corruption yeah. that Roosevelt is talking yeah. about. Yeah, exactly. Screw so, Taft. Um, yeah, it, was he a good president yeah, in the so, end? Or did he lose? I hope he... No, he was a president, wasn't he? I recognize the name. So. He was one... Yeah, he was uh, the one term that Roosevelt didn't like. Um, he was oh, the of course, president. And of I actually course, don't yeah. know... I'm not familiar, like, what the sort of historic view of his presidency was, like, whether it's considered to be good or bad. Like, obviously, Roosevelt, his presidency was considered great. Like, he did a lot of amazing things, uh, as we'll get into later, including winning a Nobel Peace Prize, by the way. Um, because of course he would. Wow. Yeah, no, I feel like, that, again, that's so, the highlight of any normal person's life. And like legitimately won a Nobel Prize, not like like some, you know, presidents and things in the past have, have won for maybe not, not actually doing much. So yeah, so you have... Uh, Woodrow Wilson running on the Democratic ticket, and uh, interestingly, Wilson's platform was actually a lot closer to Roosevelt's than 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 Taft mm-hmm. had been. So it was kind of that's kind of an interesting sort of a shift in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party at the time. Is this before um, they switched around? Because there was a point where the Republicans were more on the left and the Democrats were more on the right, right? And then there was yeah, from the very beginning, the Republican was the Progressive Party, and there's I mean, there's a reason uh, Roosevelt's uh, new party was called the Progressive Party. That was literally its name, or the Bull Moose Party. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, the uh, Abraham Lincoln was was you know the 
the first Republican president, and they they were all you know they were the liberals basically, and then that's obviously in modern times it's it's kind of switched around. Um, so the Republican Party is more conservative, and the Democratic Party is more liberal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so oh by the so way, Wilson I, I looked the up uh, there's a Gallup poll ranking presidents, presidential histories uh, about how well people mm-hmm. did. Roosevelt is the fourth most popular. Uh, according to this poll, nice. behind Washington, Lincoln, and Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Then uh, FDR is just behind him in fifth, just as a aside there. Mm-hmm. Taft, very much in the middle of the pack. He's not particularly bad. He's not oh. particularly good. Roosevelt is campaigning not to do anything halfway. He ended up going 38 states he's on the campaign trail. How many states you know, were there back state- then? Okay, so, so yeah, there were 48 he's... states at the time, it looks like. And that, that obviously, at this point, he's traveling around by train. Yeah. You know? So this brings us all to the sort of the... Uh, the main point of this segment is October 14th, 1912. Mm-hmm. So Roosevelt, he's in, um, he's begins his day, he's in Chicago, and then he goes to Racine, I think, uh, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. Probably all the people from Wisconsin are going to complain that I pronounced it wrong, probably. <laughs> so, but yeah, so he's, he's going there. He's going to head south to Milwaukee to give a, a little uh, address to a, a crowd of about 10,000 people, actually. So he steps out of his hotel, the Hotel Gilpatrick. Uh-huh. And he's just he's going as large crowd as you as you would, but in in his pocket significantly was a double folded fifty page speech. So wow, yeah, a fifty. He was 50 giving a little speech. speech. <laughs> yeah, fifty <laughs> pages. Along with in his pocket is an eyeglass case. So uh-huh. this becomes uh, significant later on. And so yeah, he steps out, huge crowd there, and among the crowd is a man named John Shrank. He's mm-hmm. a New York City saloon owner. And this guy, he decides he wants to kill Colonel Roosevelt, as he called him, because obviously Roosevelt was a colonel before. I don't know why he didn't consider him still like president. President, Roosevelt, yeah. But, I feel like that yeah. supersedes colonel. But the guy, his motivation here was that he felt that any anyone who would run for a third president, so he says any man looking for a third term ought to be shot. Oh, so he kind of agrees <laughs> with, with Roosevelt in yeah. a way. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, Roosevelt's running again, but just because he was really upset. He was, he was very yeah. much against the third term. Yeah, and so you can, if you want to read his quotes okay, really on uh, his further thoughts. Oh, this is the, uh, this is... Um, yeah, uh, this is the, this is a shrank guy. I was convinced that if he was defeated at the fall election, he would cry thief, and that his action would plunge the country into a bloody civil war. I deemed it my duty, after much consideration of the situation, to put him out of the way. I had a dream in which former President McKinley appeared to me. I was told by McKinley in this dream that I was not a... I can't even... Sologist? I don't know. I have no idea. That is not I have no... I have linked it, so let us look. Oh, I see. I got it. Uh, this is Leon Salgaz. He was an American anarchist oh. and former steel worker who assassinated U.S. President William McKinley. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was the guy who assassinated U.S. President William McKinley. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, yeah. this uh, he was not a Saigolaz. Who murdered yeah. him, but uh, Roosevelt. McKinley told me that his blood was on Roosevelt's hands and that Roosevelt had killed him so that he might become president. I was more deeply impressed by what I read in the newspapers than others, and after having this dream was more convinced than ever that I should free the country from the menace of Roosevelt's ambition. Yeah, so he, he thought yeah. Roosevelt was just going to, I'm going to take over even if I don't win, you know, uh, was, which is a common, you still, you know, hear that sort of thing sometimes during election years. Yeah. Wait, sorry, what's he getting at here? I, I, I'm not sure I quite understand uh, the gist of that. So he, he's saying, so Roosevelt, if he's, even if he's defeated, Roosevelt's going to say it wasn't, I didn't lose legitimately, sort of similar to what he was saying with the Republican nomination, because Roosevelt won that, but he still didn't get the nomination, even though he won the vote. And so he, um, I'm sure Roosevelt was complaining about this in the media. And so, yeah, he's saying, and in the final presidential election, even if Roosevelt loses, like when he loses, he's just going to be like, no, this is just corruption. So now I'm going to get the army behind me and I'm going to go, I'm going to go and I'm going to take the country anyway. Like I'm going to take over by military means. So this okay. is sort of his thinking is what's going to happen if Roosevelt loses, which I mean, obviously he must I'm, not have known much about Roosevelt if he actually Yeah, I would that. describe that as a, a bit of a stretch. <laughs> so starting around September 21st, he starts just following Roosevelt around from town to town. First, he's going from Charleston to Atlanta to Chattanooga, to Evansville, Indianapolis, to Chicago, and finally in Milwaukee. And each time, he's, he's going to assassinate him, right? That's his thing. He's oh. going to kill him. 
But each time he kind of either either Roosevelt would change his schedule just randomly and then he wouldn't find out about it, you know, because he was reading the newspapers to see where Roosevelt would be. Or he also said sometimes he, he just, uh, you know, was too scared to shoot him as he might might be. <laughs> yes. so, so, yeah. So he says, uh, if you want to read this one. I came to Milwaukee Sunday morning and went to the Argyle, a lodging house on 3rd Street. I then purchased newspapers to inform myself as to Roosevelt's whereabouts and learned on Monday that he was to arrive at 5 o'clock. I learned also that he was to be a guest at the Gilpatrick and managed to gain a position near the entrance where I could shoot to kill when Roosevelt appeared. Yeah, and so there's Roosevelt stepping out of his hotel with his, as before mentioned, speech in his pocket and his eyeglass case. case, Yeah, Yeah, and Shrank's just five feet away from him. Maybe it's a little under two meters. Yeah. And he just shoots him point blank in the chest with a Colt 38 revolver. So not like a underpowered or anything. No. And uh, yeah, right in the chest. And Roosevelt being Roosevelt, of course, he doesn't die. Um, well, I mean, so he why would back. he got shot in the chest at point-blank range with a revolver? <laughs> yeah, so he, he, he did stumble, you know, and oh, then yeah. once it happened, one of Roosevelt's people grabbed Shrank and gave put him in a headlock, <laughs> and then the, the crowd around was, like, trying to basically beat him to death. So then, yeah, Roosevelt's like, all right, he's checking himself out. He knows he just got shot in the chest, and he's quite familiar with, you know, shootings and all this and yeah. rifles. And he's like, all right, so he starts coughing and just to see if he would cough up blood, and he did. <laughs> Didn't cough up blood. Self-diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was there was no blood, so he was like, "All right, the bullet didn't pierce my lung, so I'm probably fine." And he looks, and uh, it turns out the bullet went through the 50-page speech, the double-folded, through his leather eyeglass case, and lodged in his very ample <laughs> chest muscle. Which it should be noted here, Roosevelt was like an extremely powerful guy. Like, and we'll get into the bonus facts later. Like, just all the things he did to make himself so muscular and everything. So you look just, at pictures yeah, of just, him. He's a mon- he's like monstrously yeah. like Arr! you can just imagine yeah he's him. he's just like one big muscle if that had gone into his lung that's probably some yeah he's pretty dead terrible news yeah he's he's dead uh so yeah and so roosevelt in his little after he finds out he didn't uh he didn't not coughing up blood he just says to his aide he pinked me so the police come they take away the the um shrank guy sure and apparently there was a there was reported to be a mob that was chasing after the police paddy wagon um shouting to lynch him <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, if if I imagine the people, uh, everyone seems, you know, Roosevelt seems pretty popular anyway. But like if he's coming out of a hotel where he's going to give like a big old speech to 10,000 people, you can imagine it's probably his supporters that are mostly around. To sort of wrap up Shrank's story real quick, we'll just say he, he later pleaded guilty. He said, I'm sorry I've caused all this trouble for the good people of Milwaukee and Wisconsin, but I'm not sorry that I carried out my plan. And then uh, he ended up, they de- deemed him as an insane person and he ended up dying in an, an asylum uh, 31 years later in 1943 that's the end that's the end of shrank but as for roosevelt himself he's like they're like yeah let's uh we need to go to the hospital you know we'll cancel your speech and he was like no no, i'm not going to cancel my speech why would i do that you know because just (laughs) yeah you have a bullet in your chest and you're bleeding yeah (laughs) yeah well didn't we say Uh, that it's best to leave them in he's probably like you know we'll just go with this that's cool it turns out that this was probably might have saved his life because that was the thing with McKinley. Like McKinley, had they just left it in and not fiddled with it, oh, yeah, he died he from infection. He died from infection. Had they just like see, you know poured some alcohol on it and sealed it up, like he might have been fine because he actually was in pretty good shape directly after. Like he wasn't you know in too bad a shape, and it was the infection that, that later developed that got him. So yeah, this this actually might have been something that that saved uh, Roosevelt's life. Perhaps we, at this um, at this point, we're definitely talking pre antibiotics, but are we talking post? germs are people aware of like sterilization procedures at this point in history like a surgeon's washing their hands and stuff because i remember it was around this time wasn't it that that scientist was like guys there are these tiny little things on our hands that we can't see and they're killing people and people were like you're crazy no I feel like that was before this, but then again, we do have McKinley, who they were, they reported the doctors were sticking their fingers in his wound trying to get, so, so you know, that, I don't know, yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, doctors stick fingers in wounds today, they're just, you know, sterilized but, yeah, fingers. Sterilized and flat, they're, yeah. they're wearing their, yeah. So, yeah, so then uh, Roosevelt's like, you know, I'm going to go do my speech, but before I do, he sends a telegram to his wife saying, do you want to read this one right here? And the telegram reads, and that the wound wasn't a particle more serious than one of the injuries any of the boys used continually to be having assuming he's referring to like a war hero of some kind yeah exactly or just you know like his he got injured a lot in his you know various activities (laughs) uh so yeah he's like yeah i'm fine whatever this is nothing shake it off but to 
despite this, when he, you know, he wasn't quite as fine as he was letting on because when he did walk up on the stage in front of the 10,000 people in the Milwaukee Auditorium, uh, he was born kind of stumbling and very pale. So it is kind of a little weird. They're probably looking up. The audience doesn't know what happened. Uh, He begins his speech. Friends, I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible. I don't know whether you fully understand that I've just been shot, but it takes more than that. To kill a bull moose. This is one of his more more famous quotes, right? I, I'm familiar with this one. Yeah, yeah, and it's true. Like, you can shoot a moose a lot, and uh, you know, unless you shoot them in the right spot, they might yeah. they might just come at you. Uh, uh, he went, so. he, yeah, he went on to say, "The bullet is in me now, so that I cannot make a very long speech, but I will try my best." So he did. Yeah, so, he, he didn't read all fifty pages. Well, yeah, well, but the thing is, is right after he says that, he goes on to give an hour and a half speech. Oh, okay, yeah. He, so he did. He just cracked on. <laughs> so yeah, the bulk of his speech is just you know, he's obviously is politicians do he's railing against his competitor wilson mm-hmm. and you know talking about all the stuff wilson's corrupt you know all this uh, and all the stuff he had tried to remove the corruption in washington and now it's uh, it's back and so that he needs to be elected you know this is a common political trope and then so yeah about 30 minutes in though his campaign manager did come up on stage and was like hey all right we need to stop now and take you to the hospital and he was like uh, roosevelt he says was like uh, my friends are a little more nervous than i am don't you waste any sympathy on me. Great. Yeah, exactly. So then, then he goes on for another hour and <laughs> finishes his speech. And, and obviously he gets a huge applause and everything. And then he finally does go to the doctors okay. where they take an x-ray and they find that it's lodged, the bullet's lodged kind of next to his rib in his ample chest muscle there, kind of just kind of oh, the lower man. part there. And so now like at this point, he's in, he did have to spend some time in the hospital. And then uh, interestingly, as a show of respect for him, this is just shortly before the actual election has take place. His competitors and something that wouldn't, never happened today uh they stopped their own campaigns because he couldn't campaign so they weren't going to campaign yeah uh, and so until he got out of the hospital they were like we will stop campaigning altogether just so it's fair which is kind of an interesting difference in politics from then till now i did feel although i, I guess it's like in the light of history and stuff because when there was that that shooting and, and during the american election two years ago now a year and a half ago they were like we're not going to talk about gun issues because it feels disrespectful to you know the people who were killed in, in in the shooting but then it's kind of like they do find ways despite saying that yeah. to kind of be like yes but it would be impossible for a modern politician to stop campaigning because even if they were like all right we're going to stop campaigning that's not going to stop the news media from banging on their doors every two seconds Absolutely. and their aides from giving little little announcements and things so it would be kind of impossible even if they wanted to so yeah in the so, end yeah what happened 19... in the end did Rose, he didn't win because otherwise we'd know like no. i don't know if the president came back and did like a third term after a break but it's, it's never happened right no he did win the uh the republican vote uh he ended up getting 27 percent of the votes and taft got 23 percent uh so he did beat taft wow he at split, least on the he Republican split the party side. there you go yeah, there was, and that was a total of 50%, and Wilson won with a total of 42%. So he split it and had one, had like Taft dropped out or Roosevelt, you know, uh, you know, there's a good chance uh, Wilson wouldn't have won, and that would have been kind of an interesting tweak in history. Yeah. So Roosevelt loses, but he explains that he has no regrets over even, even with getting shot and everything. Uh, yeah, he said, uh, in the very unlikely event of the wound being mortal, I wish to die with my boots on. Badass. That's just like yeah. classic. He, he wasn't actually sure whether he was going to die or not. Like he was in the hospital sitting and he gives a quote. I want you to understand that I am ahead of the game anyway. No man has had a happier life than I have led. A happier life in every way. I have been able to do certain things that I greatly wish to do. And I am interested in doing other things. I can tell you with absolute truthfulness that I am very much uninterested in whether I am shot or not. It was just as when I was colonel of my regiment. I always felt that a private was to be excused for feeling at times some pangs of anxiety about his personal safety. But I cannot understand a man fit to be a colonel who can pay any heed to his personal safety when he is occupied, as he is ought to be, with the absorbing desire to do his duty. That's nice. To bring it round to that quote from his journal, you know, where his mother and his wife died on the same day. I like that that's how, he, when he's facing yeah. death, this is his attitude on life. It's it's uh, yeah. inspiring. He totally reminds me. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Secondhand Lions. Mm-mm. Have you seen that? No, oh, it's, not even yeah, heard of it. I, it's kind of a, it's like a family movie, kind of a little more kids oriented, but mm-hmm. it's still, it's a great movie. And it is just about these two old guys who live just like the fullest life by the sort of the, that sort of definition of traveling, just like doing it all, like having so many adventures and stuff. 
stuff. And this was, he reminds me of sort of like the characters in that, that movie. He just like lived life to the fullest. Yeah. It's interesting he doesn't have like any regrets. Like he's kind of, I mean, not with regard to his life, but with, uh, with the running on, a, on an independent ticket there. Like he did split his own yeah. party and he kind of let the other guy who most people didn't like win. But maybe because he disliked Taft more. And Wilson, to be fair, his his uh, platform was closer to Roosevelt's than, than Taft. So maybe he didn't mind seeing Taft lose and Wilson win. That's true. I know, guess everything was point. a bit more centrist back then rather than or a bit more they were closer together let's say than they are yeah today. he wasn't necessarily like sad to see the republican party lose in that case perhaps mm. just to see taft out of the white house maybe that's speculation I'm they should have really thought sure. ahead a bit more on this one because it's like yeah guys if i run i'm gonna steal your votes even if i steal a little you're still gonna lose I like yeah. I like this story. On the next episode, we'll have the story three, and we'll have just a ton of awesome bonus facts about Teddy Roosevelt. Some amazing things in there as well. Yeah, so we'll take a little break, and we'll uh, we'll be back next week with uh, with more Roosevelt. I think there's there's yeah, I could I think we could do three or four episodes. We won't, but there's enough. There's enough stuff yeah. about this guy. Yeah. All right, thank you for listening. Yeah. Do not forget to review, subscribe, listen, all of these things. Yeah, great. Do that, and uh, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.